Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the American Tennis Podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network. Thanks so much for joining me today. I want to do something a little different. Recent issue that's been top of the headlines, a lot of people talking about it, is the NCAA's recent decision to start paying athletes or putting that conversation on the table. California ahead of the curve there with lawmakers saying that athletes can make money off of their image, brand, and likeness. And I'm sure you've heard former athletes and players talk until they're blue in the face about their opinions on things. We have a lot of former players on this show as well. I think it's valuable to get an athlete's perspective. But for this podcast, I want to do something a little different and bring on a non-athlete perspective just to see what an everyday person at a big school has to think about this issue and what their thoughts on it. So in that spirit, I'm going to bring on a friend who goes to UCLA. She is a huge sports fan, huge Chargers fan, huge UCLA fan, and I am very curious to get her thoughts on this issue. Um, Teresa, thank you so much for joining me. What do you think about the NCAA's decision to start paying players potentially? Well, as um, so I'm a second-generation Bruin, and after watching the Bruins growing up and now going to school there myself as my mom went there and now I go there, I've always kind of thought that we should be better. And so I was thrilled initially to learn that we would be, that California would be paying athletes going forward because I, hopefully it would mean that we'd be recruiting better talent and that our teams in the UC system have not been great as, as of late. And hopefully if we're paying our players then we'll you know have a little bit of leeway and um, some leverage to make our teams better going forward so that was initially exciting but actually I work at a hospital UCLA Health Santa Monica and I learned about it through some nurses that I work with and uh, a nurse that I work with her brother's actually on the USC football team I won't name names but she kind of explained to me some of the benefits of paying players beyond just recruiting better talent and um, I was fascinated to kind of learn that some players they're not especially if they're on the the backup roster they're not they're not paid they don't have the scholar they're not scholarship so they're still having to pay for their food a lot of them are coming from lower income families they're having to send money back home they're having to support themselves in a very expensive educational system but also having to play 50 to 60 hours a week in exchange for only their education and not much else so to me it makes sense yeah i do think that's interesting i think that on its surface paying players seems like a very fair thing to do excuse me um i think a lot of people are in favor of it and i think even maybe the higher-ups at the nca haven't been opposed to it in theory I think where the problem comes in is once you open that can of worms, it starts to get very challenging when you're talking about dispersing funds, right? We know that the football team at these big universities are huge money makers, right? You have the basketball teams in March Madness that generate a lot of revenue. But what happens to a sport like ours, like tennis, right? We're the American Tennis Podcast. Tennis isn't a huge money maker for schools, right? What about water polo? What about track? What about these other sports? that don't generate as much income as the big sports, should they be paid the same with Title IX? Should women's sports be paid equally? It it gets very complicated, and I think that's why the NCAA has stayed away from it, and I think that's a huge challenge that they need to sort out, and I don't really know what the answer is. Do you have any thoughts on it? We definitely have to play all players equally. Um, Men and women, I think by doing so, 
and bringing in better talent from around the country. We could bolster our sports programs and we have a the potential to make an impact in a lot of players and their families' lives. And um, by being in California, being kind of like setting setting the standard for the rest of the country, we can expect to see big things from other schools going forward. Well, so talking about big schools, right, people, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I am very, I, you know, I think there's definitely an argument to be made for paying players. I'm not opposed to that at all. I think it is complicated, and I think we need to find a way to enforce it fairly. And that's not an easy thing to do. I'll leave that up to people smarter than me. So I just kind of want to play devil's advocate on this podcast today and just present issues and challenges that I think is people need to think through before they really just get gung-ho on either side of the debate. But I, I totally see both sides on this. I see the value to paying players. I think that it's fair to pay players. I'm not sure what exact parameters and allocation makes the most sense. But in theory, I don't think it's a bad idea to compensate collegiate athletes for everything they're putting into the sport. But you mentioned big schools. You go to a big school like UCLA. Obviously, you guys were a powerhouse in basketball for all those years. Uh, not so much recently. It's been a little more of a struggle like you talked about. And I think that's part of your excitement is, oh, we're going to start paying players, right? We're going to get to recruit all these great people. And we're from California. So we get ahead of the curve. But then it's, wait, hold on a minute. Is that fair to other schools? Because we already see discrepancies, right, in collegiate sports. You have your powerhouses in football, for example, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU. Great game this weekend, by the way, Alabama, LSU. Um, but, you know, so it bring, it raises, I think, a fair point as well. Does this just reinforce the disparity between top schools and lower-level schools with bigger endowments and these schools that put money into their programs? Is this just going to mean that, Alabama is going to be a dynasty for the next hundred years or that, you know, UCLA basketball now is going to get to pay players, get the best talent. Is that fair to smaller schools or schools that don't have the same resources? That's a, that's a fair point. I, I think that an athlete who is willing to be a full-time athlete instead of being a full-time student. And we know that if you're a full-time athlete, you're, you're putting in so many hours, you're not really getting the full benefit of an educational experience anyway. And I would, if I were in that position, I'm not, I'm not an, in an athletic program at my school, but if I were, I would, I would want to seek out a school going into college that I, that was a powerhouse or the best that I could get. I wouldn't want to seek out a small school. I would seek out a large school that would, do the best by me and offer me the best athletic opportunities going forward and connect me with people in my sport and I so if you're going to a small school as an athlete you should probably be prioritizing your education more and that's a choice that you need to look at at the time of deciding what college you're going to but I think that athletes of a certain level have enough collegiate choices to sort through and and people that would be seeking their talent at larger schools that they would be able to make the right choice and, and it would be fair for athletes of a certain level. And I'm not saying you're wrong necessarily. I do. I just, I do think it's interesting. I went to a smaller school, for example, in Chapman, right? Played tennis there and we had a very competitive conference, the Sky Act Conference. And we had, you know, Claremont who was at the top and then we had schools that were more towards the bottom. I don't, you know, want to throw any schools under the bus by, you know, ragging on them. But it is interesting to say, um, take Caltech, for example, right? Very smart school, like you said, very focused on education in that conference, right? 
Caltech, also a very smart school. Undoubtedly, they're going to have some very successful alumni in the near future. So then you take it at a lower level scope and forget about the Alabamas, the UCLA, the bigger schools. Look in a smaller conference like that and a school that has successful alumni. But kids who are choosing to go there, so- sorry to interrupt, but kids who are choosing to go to Caltech, they, they are also seeking the education. That's what I believe. If I were in their position, you want to go to Caltech, you want to graduate from there, you want to have that degree. You're not looking to be a primary athlete. And if you are, then maybe we, then, you know, paying is not as a viable option. But if you're going to a larger school, then academics are maybe not at the forefront of your mind, and therefore paying makes more sense. It's fair, but I mean, my point was, they say a recent alum from Caltech ends up, you know, whatever, starting a startup, makes a ton of money, very passionate about tennis, and starts pouring a ton of money into that program, and they're able to recruit, and all of a sudden the tables are completely flipped. I guess my question is, they're not, at the end of the day, NCAA, you're not professional, you're still an amateur, right? So I guess, is it fair to have money come into play in such a large fashion? I think a lot of purists would say the love for the game, the stuff that makes college so exciting and more interesting. A lot of people say they love it more because there's not money on the line necessarily. I mean, you could argue top athletes are definitely playing for their future professional status and paychecks. But as it's been to date, there hasn't been financial incentives for winning at the collegiate level directly. So I guess the question is, do you think that that's going to change the paradigm greatly and take some of that and don't get me wrong, the NCAA is not pure by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not naive, and I don't mean to say that, because they have obviously a ton of scandals that we've seen across the board, which is kind of the hilarious part about this whole argument, and we'll get into that a little later. But for those who are purists and say, no, it takes it, it takes a little bit of the integrity out of the game to start paying athletes, that's for the next level, that's for the pros. Do you see that as a fair argument, or do you think these people are putting so many hours in you know, they're sacrificing sleep, they're sacrificing time in the classroom that they deserve to be compensated for what they're doing. They absolutely deserve to be cons- uh, to be paid, and, and fairly. And I don't think it will change the fun in watching the game at all. I watch NFL every Sunday. I think they're fighting for their lives out there every game. They want to win championships. They want to show everyone and prove people right and, and wrong that their supporters that who have rooted for them that they can do it and that they're the man for the job. And I think that that will stay the same regardless of whether or not these players are paid. So I've, I've been, I've been playing devil's advocate against the whole paying players thing, just cause I think it's, you know, I, I don't want to just be on here, just patting each other on the back, agreeing with each other. Cause I think it's important to hear other sides of the opinion and to just raise, I think valid concerns. Here I'm actually going to join you though on the, I think maybe, I don't want to say necessarily benefits of paying players, but something that I do find funny is forget about bigger programs. I mean, we've seen what happened with Reggie Bush and other big athletes over the years about people getting in trouble for illegal recruiting practices and under the table type deals. We know that happens, right? I mean, that's happened when I was playing tennis, even people around me were offered things. I was offered things and, you know, it's not uncommon. And you see, I mean, even tennis, I won't name any programs. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but huge programs this last year, last two years have gotten in huge amounts of trouble for things that they've been doing that is not by the book, right? So I guess you could argue that putting this as a rule that applies to all schools across the board, okay, well, now we're allowed to pay athletes. I would hope they would regulate it and make it ideally the same pay for everyone so you can't have one school offering 50k for a year and another school only only uh, able to offer 10k but i think the argument could be made that 
by paying players, and we need to have a lot of conversation about the logistics, but in theory, by paying players, you take away some of the unfairness that has already been happening in college sports with certain schools breaking the rules, taking advantage of semantics, and already getting an unfair advantage. Do you see that at all? Yeah, definitely. Hopefully that it will call some schools who have been doing things under the table, it'll give them a wake-up call. Hey, um, actually, can't be doing that anymore, and you got to conform to, we're going to, by, by make, making it legal, basically, just like with marijuana in California, you now regulate it, and that's a good thing. <laughs> we're now a drug podcast, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, by making it out in the open, and making it public. Now we can see what's happening and we can talk about it and we're bringing it to the forefront. And hopefully we can streamline things a little bit more. So now we can talk about men and women's players and how they're paid. It's just having it out in the open is a better idea for streamlining what's already been going on and will continue to be going on in less equitable ways otherwise. You do make an interesting point, actually. I guess putting it in the forefront, legalizing it, is it does start the conversation of being able to regulate it. And perhaps now that we do have these rules in place, I hope the committee gets together and I hope we come up with a fair, uh, fair system across the board. But I think that even now that they are putting this on the table, I think the violations of those rules should come with even stiffer penalties than there ever were before because now there's just no excuse, right? I mean, we're, the NCAA is already giving so much by agreeing to start paying players which has been against their mo forever that if you're still looking for a way to cheat the system after they try to hopefully come up with a fair way to make it players get to be compensated but i think the important thing is keeping fairness across the board in terms of integrity within competition and not giving schools an unfair advantage so i am all for the players getting play uh paid as long as we can keep that fairness with competition across the board and i think that's where a lot of the challenges on this topic come in but I, I'm eager to see, you know, as a former college athlete and granted, yes, a tennis player, and I am the, I'll be the first one to admit football players, basketball players, other athletes have it way harder than I did and then most tennis players do. I do think they deserve to be compensated at the end of the day. They're putting a lot of work into it. Um, a friend floated a theory to me, a suggestion recently, and said that he's for paying players, but think about all the players that are one and done, and granted, that's the minority compared to how many people are actually collegiate athletes, right? But the people that go to school for one year and then graduate, should they get paid? Or should it be that if you go through, you get your education, you graduate with your degree from the university, then you have a little pile of money waiting for you at the end? Should it be dispersed each year? What do you see as the, and now obviously we're getting ahead because they haven't even decided this and it's going to be hard, but what do you see just as somebody who goes to a big school, enjoys sports, and wants to see players treated fairly, what do you think is a fair way to dish out compensation? Well, kind of what you were saying, I, I, I think that, you know, players that are just in it to get drafted and leave the school after one year, you can say that education is... They're just not getting an education during that time. There's nothing that they're really gaining overall. But they're making the choice to go for bigger money. So the school isn't going to make as much money off of them. And so as a collegiate player, their likeness is like less likely to be used long term. So I maybe those players shouldn't be paid. I, gotta push. I think it should be you know kept to players that are going to stick it out. For the four years and get that degree. Once they get that degree, then they've gotten the education. 
but they've also put in the, the time to know that they've also really contributed to that athletic department. An interesting point, and you do see people who stick out for years. I mean, Luke May, North Carolina, recent basketball player, fan favorite. Everyone loves the guy because he's stuck around. You do get those four-year guys, guys and gals, but I do have to push back a little bit because the people who, you said something interesting, which I think is actually worth discussing. The one-and-done type players, right? You were saying that they don't necessarily generate the most revenue for the school. I have to push back on that a little bit because the one-and-dones are typically the bigger stars not always, but you think of guys that go in first year, light it up on fire, right? Everyone knows. It's just those are household names, right? Like Johnny Manziel back in the day at Texas A&M, right? These players that just go in, light it up, and Manziel might not have been one and done, so that might not be a great example. But in basketball, you see it all the time, right? Players that just go for one year and then turn pro, and those are the big players that everyone's talking about, particularly in the NCAA March tournament, like Zion, right? Zion Williamson from Duke, iconic, right? Sure, but do people remember them more for the colleges that they went to or the professional teams that they went to after they were one and done and then were drafted? That's fair. So I feel like the, the short duration of time that they were at the school, maybe they made that school some money, but was it enough to justify them being paid relative to the amount of money that they're now making professionally? I don't think so. Well, it's an interesting point, and this is why I was really excited to have you on and talk with someone who is uh, completely unbiased in terms of being a former collegiate athlete because every collegiate athlete or former collegiate athlete I've talked to has the same, <laughs> has the same opinion because they've been there and they think they deserve to be paid. And, I, you know, I get it, of course, we're the, we've, we've bled, the, you know, we've shed the blood, sweat and tears, what have you, and feel we deserve to be compensated for it. And I get that, I totally do. But I enjoy and appreciate having a, you know, a non-athlete on, somebody who doesn't have a vested interest necessarily, self-interest, saying that athletes deserve to be paid, but still see the value of athletes getting paid, while also addressing, you know, the <laughs> how difficult it's going to be to really standardize this and put into play a fair system of doing it. So... I think it's really interesting. I think, like I said, I think the NCAA tried to put this off as long as they could because it is just opening, it's going to open a whole new can of worms for them, really. And now there's just so much that needs to be regulated and solidified, and it's not going to be easy. I am glad I do not work for the NCAA right now. Interested to see how it affects a sport like tennis. Like, that's one thing that I'm going to be really curious about if they set different budgets for different schools, if there's a way that they it's set by say a university's whatever you know income generated by the sport whatever it may be i'm just very curious to see how smaller sports like tennis either benefit or aren't really affected by this because i think we all know the basketball the football programs huge programs like this obviously stand to gain quite a bit under those schools and programs that everyone's talking about i don't think many people think about tennis when they're talking about this so i think it's an interesting angle and i'm really eager to see how how it takes off from here and i hope that it regulates some of the unfairness and quite frankly some of the cheating that we've been seeing in just tennis alone over the past several years and for those of you plugged into the collegiate tennis world you know that there have been several scandals recently so it'll be interesting i'm excited to see where it goes from here uh teresa do you have any closing thoughts on the topic or anything you want to say well i i know less about tennis than you um but i do i actually went to school in high school with a, a now UCLA gymnast, Kyla Ross, a gold medal winning Olympic gymnast, actually. Kyla Ross, she was in my calculus class senior year, hey. And um, and she stands to benefit from this in a big way. And as someone in high school, and I know that she does in college as well, she really tries to get her education. And she attends her classes, and she takes the hard classes, and she's trying to get a degree at the same time. And because she's making an effort, at getting that education 
they say that that's what you're gaining and that's what you should athletes collegiate athletes should be paid for paid is their education essentially in that degree but because so many of them don't get that the ones that are actually trying and are sticking it out and staying with the collegiate sport those are the ones that deserve even if they're trying even if they're not able to attend every class those are the ones that i think deserve to be paid for their time because not only are they bolstering a program they're drawing in new recruits new talent they're they're creating a program and a legacy for a school and and they're doing their best to also make time for their for knowledge and and that's that's a good thing that we should be supporting well that's a good point i'm glad you brought up actually the ucla women's gymnastic team i correct me if i'm wrong but i think i saw them on espn actually a few months ago their gymnastic team's top what one of the top in the nation are they not yeah i think uh maybe oklahoma is better or some midwest school is maybe number one but we're we're a close second yeah so that that we're we're up there i'm glad you mentioned that i'm glad you mentioned that because that's funny then you think well maybe ucla women's gymnastics should be getting paid more than uh your guys's football team in the recent years they've left a little bit to be desired so it's just a lot to think about a lot to take in i hope this was helpful guys um like i said i know you can turn on any first take espn fox sports whatever wherever you watch tv and they'll have plenty of talking heads and former players talking about this but I hope that an outside perspective was useful. Um, like I said, I think that this is the American Tennis Podcast, but as far as this rule, it's going to change collegiate sports and have a huge impact on it. Granted, I do think tennis will be one of the sports that is affected the least by it. Could be interesting in terms of international recruiting for schools and things of that nature, but I really do think that the bigger bigger programs are the ones that really stand to be affected by this. But I still think it's worth talking about, especially while we don't exactly know how it's going to be implemented the image brand and likeness rule in California is very interesting because there aren't too many tennis players that are um, seeing any revenue to gain from their image brand and likeness during their time in college, unfortunately, because we do not get the same exposure as football and basketball players. But interesting nonetheless. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and just a different perspective. I, I think it was a fun podcast. I enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. We're going to have some great guests coming up on the American Tennis Podcast. Uh, end of the year coming up. We'll go over some tournaments, have some good guests on. Really excited for it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Check out all the shows on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network. Lots of great shows on there. I'll talk to you all very soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.